You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fair Game podcast. Uh, I hope you all are doing really well. Today's show, I got to tell you, this guest makes me hungry. And he's made me overeat at the South Florida Fair. He runs a comedy cooking show and makes some of the best gumbo in Louisiana. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Chef Scott Landry. Welcome to the show, Chef. Well, thanks for having me, Robert. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad we... Uh, what, what is the official name of your comedy show? Chef Landry's Comedy Shows. Chef Landry's Comedy Shows. And you're cooking... And you're so it's kind of like, uh, and you're telling jokes, so it's kind of like, like Rachel Ray kind of live cooking show, but you're doing comedy bits. Is that correct? Right. There was an old man named Justin Wilson. I don't know if y'all, you probably know him, the, the audience might not, but he was an old man that used to tell joke, Cajun jokes, and started like the very first food show on, um, on PBS. And so my show is like his, and the way it got started is, we did a dinner show where I served a dinner, showed, fed, fed the dinner, and then the guest watched me make that dinner so that they could and hear the jokes. And we made a lot of money for charity, and from there it went on. And then we started with the fairs, as you know. And you recognize there was a financial opportunity there to, you know, yeah, make, I mean, run a business and, and make people good food and make them happy at the same time. Yeah, exactly. My, my daughter came home and said, you know, I had a big catering company and my daughter came home and said, dad, we're going to do barbecue chicken dinners and everybody's going to come help you do them and blah, blah, blah. Well, one lady showed up the day we served the dinners and the next year they said, it was such a success. We're going to do it again. And I said, no, we're going to do this comedy dinner show and it's going to go and it's going to work. And from there we started doing the schools and then from the schools, we started doing the fairs. And we've come full circle, Robert, because last year we did four dinner shows for charities. We did the Wounded Warriors. We did the Blue Storm Mothers. We, you know, we did several of those. It's funny how it comes back to where it started. I think that's the case for a lot of us in this industry. Uh, I think, yeah, because it, it, it revolves. Everything's evolving and pretty soon life comes full circle. Yeah, it sure does. Now, how long have you been a chef? Well, I... Went to chef school in 1982 or 83, maybe. And um, I guess long time. But when I was in college, I had a little catering business. It was very little. It just covered the fraternities at, at my college. Right. You know, they're, they're not very much very good food critics. They just eat. Right. You know, so it, it went off without a hitch there. Did you always want to be a chef? You know, I always wanted to be in the restaurant business. My, my three goals was I want to be a fighter pilot for the Marines. I wanted to be a lawyer or I wanted to own a restaurant or be a movie store. And so I guess I got the best of both worlds. I'm a live stage entertainer and a cook. And do you consider yourself a movie star and all that? No, but I have been on national PBS and I have been on the food channel. So hey, hey, that's I'm, not I'm bad. Getting, I'm so getting now you talk about, you know, uh, I think it was your, your daughter said barbecue chicken show, but what, like, I know you and I have spoken, and uh, you know, private previously, you do fish fries and all sorts. Tell the, uh, the listeners kind of what you're cooking, what, what kind of food you're making. Oh, well, during the fair season or during the entertainment season, I guess there's a distinct season. 
I do anything Cajun or anything that a sponsor wants me to cook. Sterling pork, I do pork, smothered pork chops, or the bison council wants me to cook with bison. I'll do braised bison tips or whatever, and we do our show. Now, you mentioned frying fish. I, I have a fish fry business that we go to schools, and we cook a fish dinner, and they sell it. And then basically, we split profits on it. And they do, we do really well with it, which is a perfect add-on to the fair business. You know, the fairs run from Memorial Day, mainly to Labor Day or October. And, and schools run from Labor Day to May. So you have that, um, I'm always working. So I have a full year's worth of work. Well, that was until 2020. Yeah. Yeah, I will get, I definitely want to get to the, the pandemic and, and how you responded to that. Um, but give me a little idea of how does your, when you're doing the show for fairs, how does that work? Do they put you on a stage? Do you bring your own stage, your own equipment? What does that look like? Well, normally when we perform at a stage, I bring the set, the sound, the lights. They provide me with a floor print and usually they provide the staging but it does, they don't have to. Some put me flat on the ground. Some put me on a stage. Sometimes I rent a stage. It just depends on the budget of the, of the venue. Right. But, but otherwise, like you've got your backdrops and lighting and, and that kind of jazz. I know we've seen you when we've been at conventions before you've got some trussing with uh, didn't know, did you paint it red or is it just red lighting that you've got on it? No, it's, it's uh it's powder coated uh, candy apple red. Okay. And then I bought those LED lights that light it up red now. Yeah. And you, and you have that at the show also? Yeah, I bring that to the shows. So that, that, is, that is what I perform off of. Got it. So it's not just like you show up and, and you know, here's a little, you know, a, a counter and a stovetop or whatever. Like you've got a full display that it's a real eye-catching thing when people are walking around the fairs. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we have signage that says Chef Landry's next show is. And we usually the venue will have us sponsored by somebody. Sure. So we have their sign. Um, they have their signs up. And, uh, and so we'll, you know, we dance with the lady that brought us. We do what we're told. Well, sure. I mean, if they've got a, uh, you know, some local sponsor or somebody, they want to make sure that they're getting their, uh, their advertising dollars worth and you step up and you make it happen. Yeah, and, and with our set, we tell the venue, look, if I'm performing two, four, and six, you can have somebody on my stage one, three, and five, yeah. and they can okay. use my pots and pans and anything that I'm not using, they're welcome to use, and I they can use my sound, they can use whatever, or I can MC for you, because I try to be as versatile as you can be for the fair, you know? Agre yeah, I agree. Being an entertainer myself, there's a lot of times you, know, you create your product and what it ideally looks like. And then there's the flexibility side of what it usually looks like where and under perfect circumstances, you know, in my case, Conjure Fortune Machine looks a certain way on the fairgrounds. And then you get to the fairgrounds and they say, well, here's where we really need you. And you go, okay, we're going to figure out how to make that work. Cause that's what we do. Well, um, you know, like in South Florida that you and I did that, that 12 days or 20 days, whatever it was, um, they had me in a huge venue. Like yeah, I, don't a thousand. That, I don't think that did you justice. Well, we went out and uh, before each show, we'd go out into the fairgrounds and say, hey, we're having a comedy cooking show. You get something to eat. It's free. Come on. Out. So we promote our own shows because right. 
we want the fair to think we're worth what they pay us. Sure. Yeah. And I was there with you. I was there with you at that point for, for South Florida. And that was one of those theaters when, I mean, even cause they had Tyson in there as a hypnotist and even him, I mean, it was what, like 700 seats or something. It was was over. Yeah. And I was like, man, even Tyson's going to stroke, but you know, Friday night at 7 PM. I mean, Tyson has, you know, 800 was standing room, which blew me away. I couldn't believe what I'd seen. That fair was a phenomenal fair and different in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then your show and I'm looking at it and I'm going, you know, there were several times that you probably had 200. Yeah. I mean, you had a really, yeah, I had the, the problem you run into is when, you know, as they say, you want to be in the, the smallest space that will comfortably fit everyone. So 200 looks great, but when it's in an auditorium that's got 700 seats, it, or it 800, kind of, yeah. or 800, whatever it was, it kind of throws the the balance off. I mean, your your show's good. I think that was a, I think it looked like it didn't look like you struggled because you, I mean, you're going to do what you're going to do. But I watched a lot of people that would come in and kind of look and be like, oh, this is, you know, what's the the messaging there? I think if they'd had you on a maybe a stage outdoors or something that had 200 seats. You know, you know and a lot of it is the time of the day you perform. Oh, sure. Two o'clock looks the a first heck of a lot different than day, 7 you, p.m. Yeah, you screw up, you know. Oh, but yeah. uh, So we kind of ask them to, hey, look, put us like two hours into the fair or three hours yeah. into the fair. So the fair fills up. Yeah, And that was a good fair. I mean, they had me in a huge venue and we probably got... 30% full most days, some days yeah. we suck eggs, you know. Yeah, yeah there, but what do you do when it's, when it's uh, you know, Wednesday and they say we want you to go Wednesday at one o'clock? Well, and the fair opens at 1230. And the fair, yeah. And, I, and I've experienced that over and over with fairs over the years where they say, hey, we want, con- fair opens at 12, we want Condron over here at 1230. Well, even if they've got a massive group waiting to get in the fair, you know what people do when they first hit the fair is they bolt straight tickets. to the midway. They go buy their tickets. They go hit the rides. They go start having that fun. And then they filter over towards the food. And then they start going, all right, now what are we going to do? And it, usually at that point, you're about two to three hours in. Yes, exactly. And then they start going, oh, there's a pig race. Oh, there's a comedy cooking show. Oh, there's a fortune machine. Or oh, there's – then they start filtering around all that other stuff. But it is you know, what it and- is. And I think as professionals, that's our job to just – we have to go roll with whatever they give us and make it work. That's right. And, and, you know, like I pitch to whoever's behind me and I pitch to whoever's down the fair from me yep. so that if they, if they see my show and I send them to their show, maybe, and a lot of the entertainers will do this. They'll pitch it back to you because they know that you're on it again at four and you need those people to come to you. For sure. For sure. Well, that's awesome. It sounds like it's, it's and I've seen it before. It's a, a really good show. I especially noticed that you had a solid group of, um, of older adults that were really, I think some of the younger crowd doesn't get your humor. The older <laughs> crowd sits, and, and, and I don't mean like old 78, I mean like, you know, 45 and up crowd. They were eating it up. They were. Yeah, anywhere up. from say 37 or eight, to 108 I do well with yeah I have worked on a show now uh for a younger crowd and when I say younger I'm talking 
15 to 25 because that's a tough that's a tough demo because you know you can't cuss you can't uh tell fat people jokes you can't tell you know it has to be clean family humor yeah right exactly and you can't make fun of people anymore in this political atmosphere so you kind of get you know what there's only so much you can tell yeah well and and i think it's important for acts um to understand what their product is it's hard to sell your act to a fair or be successful at a fair if you don't know what your product is and i for the longest time wanted to do things that was good for everybody it's really difficult to be good for everybody it 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 waters out your show it flattens out who you are i think if your demographic is 40 and up i think you should dominate that demographic there's plenty on a fairgrounds for a 20 year old you know couple uh from college you know a guy and girl or whatever that you know they're coming or a a young family there's plenty for them and i think we we should give, you know, we got to give credit to the fairs that they know what they're looking for, for certain areas, you know, and I've talked with fair manager before, back when I was doing magic, where they say, um, we really need kitty magic. And of course, early on in my career, back in like, you know, 2000, and I've been doing fair since 04, but like, you know, 2004 to say 2009, 10, I would take the gig and, and I would found that a lot of them I wasn't super successful at because my street magic show at the time, while it incorporated kids, it wasn't like Frank Thurston's magic show. That's completely kid focused. And you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I got to the point where I started referring out when fairs would call and say, Hey, we need a a magic show for a a kitty. We need just kitty magic. You're going to be in the kid zone, kitty area. Um, I started referring them out because I recognized what my show was and it was not going to be necessarily successful. Sure. I'd love the check. I want the business, <laughs> but it doesn't do you any good if you go get the check once and then your reputation is, is mud because you didn't really do the kid show they wanted. You know, like we did a fair one time and we packed them in every night. Um, and, and the manager said, yeah, it just wasn't what we expected. And you sit there and you go, did I do everything that I said I would do? Yes. And what did you expect that I didn't do? Yeah. And and I, you know, they, they don't really have a question for an answer for that a lot of times. Sometimes. Sometimes they say, you know, you didn't do this. And you go, okay, or you did this and we didn't want that. And then you go, okay, but I agree with you. You need to know where your what your show is, what your demographics are who's a sponsor for you so the fair can go get that money sure because a lot of times the marketing directors of a lot of fairs are volunteers yes and you know when you try to tell a fair you need a voice of the fair that continually tells people what's happening and where a lot of fairs don't have that capability to have a sound system throughout the fairground when that would make make their fair 20 times more beneficial because they could move their crowds from act to act. Yeah. Instead of a lot of times they're handcuffed on that because I've literally, I've had that conversation with the fair manager um, only to find out, well, they only lease the ground because it's County space or the state owns it or whatever, some private entity owns it and they can't do any improvement like that. So in a lot of cases they're stuck. Yeah. And I agree with that. And, and, you know, sometimes I think, 
us as entertainers or us as providers for fairs, somebody ought to start that business. You know, where they come in with, with a huge sound system or wireless. I mean, they're making that capability now that you sure. could well, do that. People that do. And, and some of the entertainers have, have figured that out. Um, you know, Ron Diamond, who's a hypnotist down, he, he mainly works the Florida market that I've seen him. And I know he goes up the East Coast a lot. Um, you know, he started out as a magician, kind of segued into doing hypnosis. He does a little bit of both. And now over the last... I don't know, Ron, if you listen to this, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say five years, six years, he has continually expanded out his AV business and he covers stages for fairs now. So there were fairs that a lot of times couldn't necessarily afford to build out that extra stage with lighting and sound and audio and whatnot on it. Well, now Ron provides us, they're already bringing him, you know, for his hypnosis show or whatnot. And so that's part of his whole, his whole deal is, you know, cover all this light. And basically he wants to build it out for his show to make sure that his show looks good. So that way exactly. he's in control of it. But then he offers that bump to the fair and says, Hey, if you've got, you know, Matt's family jam on the stage, or if you've got uh, a magician or a juggler or whatever, and they need a stage spot and they need professional AV, I'll cover it. And that, so that does, that adds a lot of value. I've thought about it over the years. I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to say never, but um, well, when you start looking at the cost of AV, that deters a lot of that. And the other thing is, like you you say, I want a fair to look at me like I bring lights, I bring sound, I bring my set, I bring everything I need to do my show, yep. so that that they don't have to worry about it. And what I found was, when you buy sound and lights for a show it may cost you five or $6,000, yep. but one show that you booked that couldn't afford to rent that sound and lights. Yeah. Pays for it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So listen, we wanted to start this podcast up again and do this season um, to kind of tell the 2020 story for our, our <laughs> acts, for our entertainers, for our fair managers, our carnivals, our concessionaires. Um, it's hit all of us very hard. Um, and, but differently, some of us differently than others, Looking back at, you know, when I look back on the year, March of 2020, particularly March 11th, um, seems to be the date that stands out, you know, just prior to March 11th, I think around the sixth or seventh South by Southwest canceled in Austin world health organization on March 11th declared officially, it was a global pandemic. And that same day, the Houston livestock show, which is the, between them and the state fair of Texas, the largest event in our, our industry. They were just a few days into their event and they had to cancel it. And I think for a lot of us, that's when we realized the dominoes were going to start falling and this was going to be more serious than maybe we thought. Take us back to that point. What are you feeling as an entertainer when you start to see events as big as Houston cancel? It's scary. That's, the, that's what the first thing was. But the first thing I thought when they started canceling fares was I have my fish fry business. Sure. You know, and it was coming into Lent, which is my golden season. And uh, because I'm from a predominantly Catholic state and in Lent, you cannot eat meat on Sundays, Wednesdays or Fridays if you're an old time Catholic. So, man, that's if you're in the fish fry business, that's when you're frying all your fish. And I thought, well, no big deal. I'll 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 do this. 
Then on March the 12th, the calls started coming in. We're canceled school. They won't let the kids do da 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 da. Yeah. We have to postpone the fish fry. We have to do this. We have to do that. One guy said, I can't give back 5,000, refund 5,000 dinners. What, what are we going to do? And I said, well, what can we do? He said, the kids can't do it. I said, okay, can the parents do it? Yes. I said, okay, that solves that problem. Can we do it on the school grounds? No. Can we do it somewhere else? And the parents work it. Yes. Problem solved. Let's go to a closed uh, grocery strip center. We set up, we did our deals and everybody was happy. That was the last paycheck I got till the 31st, uh, well, till the 31st of September. Not not September, all is it 30, 31 August? Yeah, Laura don't... hit on the 28th. On the 28th, Laura hit. And on that Monday, I started doing meals for whoever. And that's when we got our first paycheck. So yeah. and you you just alluded to Laura hitting um for those listening. Um chefs based out of Lake Charles, Louisiana, down on the Gulf Coast. Um, you're not directly on the Gulf, but for the hurricane's sake, you're close enough. And oh, well, yeah, we're in the, we may not get the surge that everybody gets, but, but my neighbor had a wind, uh, gauge on his building and the storm actually hit us at 140 miles an hour. That's big time. Yeah. So not only does the pandemic hit you in the middle of all this, um, you guys had, is it, it was two storms come through really close together yeah we had laura hit us the last of august and we had delta hit us like two weeks ago or three weeks ago right and now you're sticking we're um just for reference we're recording this here on the uh 27th of october and now you're looking at what zeta or something sitting out there on the yucatan that's getting ready to come into the gulf well out of all the models, there's only one that says we have a chance. Okay. So but, you're on the far west side of the cone right now. That's right. That's right. But so, you know what we say here in Lake Charles? We're, we're Lake Charles strong. Bring it on. We don't want to wish it on our neighbors. You, you know what? Just I'm, take the hit yourselves. We'll take the hit. Whatever we have is already screwed up. Whatever damage can be done has been done. Yeah. I lost 79 trees in my yard to give some kind of reference of what happened here. Man, I can't even imagine having a yard that could fit 79 trees. I have Well, one. I live on 10 acres. I live well, on 10 go. acres and we had planted four rows of pine trees down our east border as a sound barrier to the whoever moved in next to us. Right. And 79 of those trees snapped off anywhere from a foot off the ground to 20 feet off the ground. I mean, wow. and it was like, when you get a hurricane, you get rain, you get floods, you get storm surge, and you get uh, tornadoes. Yep. So from the way the trees broke, apparently we were getting a lot of easterly, you know, wind blowing to the west because all of my trees fell to the west. Wow. And uh, it's, it's a scary thought when you call your adjuster or you call your insurance company and you say, hey, I've lost 79 trees and the, the uh, price I have to clean my yard up 
is $18,000. And they tell you, well, what did it fall on? And I said, my yard, most of it, my fences. Well, if it didn't fall on something, it's not covered. So I had like a $15,000, go clean this up yourself. And how do you clean up with chainsaws and stump grinders? And, you know, you just don't have that equipment. Right. So what we found in, in, in Laura was you walk outside and your first thing is, holy crap, how will I ever clean this up? Right. And my philosophy was this. And I told some friends because depression set in really bad after Laura for a lot of people and anxiety. And I said, look, guys, pick a project. Just walk outside. And the first thing you come to that's a project, do it. And don't worry about the overall scheme. Just do the one project. And then soon it'll be over with. And then just pick the one next to it. And pretty soon your whole yard will be cleaned up. And I say that, but I've been feeding meals now every day, seven days a week. And most of my yard looks like the hurricane's still in, <laughs> except the, uh, the, the blue roofers. Naturally, everybody in our area gets a new roof when a hurricane comes through. So the FEMA boys that were patching roofs till they could get roofers to fix them came in and cleaned up about half my trees. They pushed it all to the front and saved me thousands of dollars. And um, I shared my home with about 50 people for a month. Wow. And I live in a one bedroom apartment with one bathroom. So figure out the, the schedule of 50 people using one shower. <laughs> yeah, we, okay. <laughs> with a flashlight. <laughs> You're right. Right. So, I mean, obviously at this point you're, you know, you're talking timeline, kind of the end of, end of August, beginning of September, by now the pandemic has, has devastated communities. You've got, you know, millions of jobs lost across the country. Businesses are closed. Some of them never coming back. Um, you guys take a beating from multiple hurricanes. How has your community managed that as a whole? You know, it's taken a lot of reaching out to one another just to say, hey, dude, how you doing? You know, like I called you to say, how are you going to make it through this? And you said, thank God my wife's got a real job. And, yeah. uh, and you, you reach out to somebody who, like some of the petting zoos, they didn't know how to feed their animals. Were they going to sell the animals and then they wouldn't have a show or well, look, I can't give you a lot of money, but I can give you a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. Or uh, somebody's having a bad day and they think maybe today is the day I ought to just throw in the towel. Well, you send them a flower arrangement or a tree or a plant and you say, hey, hang in there. This yeah. too should pass. And, and you, you just try to communicate with everybody you can so that you stay. You know, they say misery loves company. So that's what we do. We, we commemorate with one another. And in Louisiana, uh, one of the guys from Florida said, I realize that if you're going to cook something in Louisiana, you got to cook for a hundred people because yeah, you don't you know don't how to cook, cook for one two. person. Yeah. You know? So everybody just opened up their, well, the day after Laura, the neighbor said, Hey, look, I got all this fish. Let's cook fish. So I fried fish for everybody. The next guy said, hey, I got this venison. Let's cook venison. So we barbecued. The, you know, we just had block parties. And, uh, you know, the term hurricane party used to mean you're getting ready for the hurricane. Let's go get 
have a great time. Well, this, the hurricane parties for us were in the. Now it's the aftermath. And you know what? The pandemic didn't matter. Because the only people wearing masks during this whole time are the people working inside Lowe's, inside uh, Walmart, inside Sam's. And they're going, here's a mask. Great. Throw it in a buggy. Because you've been outside working with the roofer, the tree trimmer, the carpenter, the bricklayer. The, you just can't imagine the number of construction people you work with every day. And if you're six feet away and you're wearing a mask, you cannot communicate. It's a little difficult. Yes. And, and you know, right after Laura, the temperatures were in the high 90s with the high 85 humidity, maybe to 95% humidity. So you're miserable to begin with. And then they want you to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. It just didn't happen. So, and in my feelings toward the pandemic is let's take care of those with issues like respiratory or heart problems or any of that because this disease is 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 not going away you know what virus have we ever cured we've managed them yeah that's when i what i've been reading if i i I might be mixing up you know timelines but medicine's been studying science has been studying the coronavirus family of coronaviruses for like 70 or 80 years you know the common cold being a coronavirus and there's zero um as far as i understand vaccines there's treatments there's things you can get to kind of antivirals and whatnot to help you feel short but 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 there's no vaccine that's what and i don't mean i don't want to be a pessimist in here could there be a vaccine in the next year to 18 to 24 months? Sure. I don't ever want to doubt that. Um, but I, I don't think history is on our side to get a vaccine for this. Here's my deal. And I am not pessimistic. In fact, I overstate my numbers all the time, you know, but we've, we got to have, we have a flu virus vaccine. Now people are still getting the flu. And, and the reason it was so bad is when it hit, it hit hard, those that hit hard. And there was no, we weren't prepared with respirators. But our, our survival rate is way up there. Even in the 70, 80-year-olds, there's half a percent. And yeah, half a percent of 2 million people is a lot of, a lot of people. A lot of people. But a lot of people die drinking every year. And a lot of people die of heroin overdose. Right. We got to feel for those families and be compassionate, but we also got to get out there and build a herd immunity so that we can beat this thing within ourselves. Does yeah, that make and sense? I, don't mean, I don't even know. I read some stuff that says herd immunity is not possible because you can get it again. I read other things that say herd immunity, you have to have it. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. What I, what I can say for certain is that I don't feel like, and this is, further complicated the stress of this year i'm sure for all of us um i don't feel like we get straight answers from the people we should be getting them from and that is includes world health organization the cdc our local governors the president congress fauci i mean one second they say this then that you know there was one point in there where the cdc recommended 
forget what they recommended this, you know, this is what we're looking at. And then literally three days later, later, they were like, no, 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 that's not what we're doing this instead. And then when you go back and forth, Americans as a whole, our culture, um, I mean, if you consider our entire country was built on, or on a rebellion on, on pushing back. So it's no, yeah. It's no surprise that as Americans, we are willing to take risks There's no surprise that we're willing to rebuff the government recommendations. And I think, I think some of it is in a way like um, with parents and children, if young children sense that there's a, a crack or an uncertainty or a lack of confidence in their parents or lack of resolve, <laughs> they push back. And I think when you have Fauci saying one thing and then changing his mind and the president saying something and then the media saying something else and CDC saying something, as, as the kids of the country, <laughs> we sniffed that something wasn't right and decided to push back. And I think um, I think I just want to be in a place where we get straight answers. And, well, and I I'd like to get spoken to like an adult. You know, our governor here in New Mexico repeatedly, she does weekly updates and repeatedly literally has wagged her finger at the people of New Mexico. And I'm like, we're not four. You know, <laughs> maybe talk to us like adults. And I, but a, a lot of it's politicized. And at the end of the day, the virus is going to do what the virus does and people are going to do what they do. What really matters is, it, to me, is what's going on with each other. And you alluded to it earlier. You said, you know, depression had set in super early. You know, I'd read a thing that said that um, they, I, I don't know exactly how they analyzed it. It's the, I think it was called the Robert Graham Center. And they looked at what they called deaths of despair, you know, deaths from drug and alcohol abuse and suicide related causes because people have lost their jobs. They've lost their whole business. They've lost everything. And they were saying that um, on the low end, they were looking at like 25 or 30,000 additional deaths and as many as 150,000 additional, 154,000 additional deaths. If you had say a slow economic recovery and a high unemployment. So I don't know that, I don't know where we hit it as a nation in that. And that's the type of number that you probably won't know for five years or 10 years. Well, see in Louisiana, um, we've gone to set stage three, I guess, which is 75% opening and you can do live events and stuff. Okay. But, but my point is this, the government cannot give us money. And there's a group of people that won't work because they're getting enough from the government not to work. There are people like me that are begging people to come to work because my fish fry business has started again but my crews aren't working because, well, they don't have to. Yeah. I, on the other hand, have to work because um, I got bills, you know? And when the pandemic hit, I said, give me some stimulus. And they said, you're late with your tax return. Well, I'm late every year with my tax return. So, or you didn't file this form. And then it was, you can't get PPE because you can't work your people. You are your people. And then, uh, then get a small business loan, which we applied for, but we're still waiting to hear from. Wow. So when we battened down the hatches that we started eating at home was the biggest thing that we did. And we watched our savings start dwindling. We got to thinking, you know, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? 
I think that work, you know, and people that don't handle stress, that really affects them. Like my wife, when the hurricane came, she wanted, the hurricane was supposed to hit Friday. She wanted to leave like a week before when they didn't even know where it was going to hit. Right. Which is smart for some people, but for others like me that mainly do disaster feeding, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing, but I think we need to open up the economy and if people get sick, we need to deal with that sickness. But I think we're better able with respirators now that we didn't have before. And we know more about the virus. So let's, let's take it on, you know, uh, I'm not a doomsayer like, like, um, some of the politicians say people are dying people are dying all the time okay people are dying every morning i thank god he let me wake up like the joke says budro don't you want to go to heaven yeah father i want to go to heaven but not today <laughs> you know, so yeah there you have it you so know as, <clears throat> as this pandemic drags on do you find yourself being a little more optimistic or, or is there still some pessimism about what's going on in the beginning, I kept waiting for the election, saying that sooner or later, whoever's elected, Biden, Trump, it don't matter who's elected, a lot of that infighting is going to stop because whatever party wins, they're there for four more years and you got to find another reason to, to go on. So my optimism started rising as the election got closer, thinking somebody's going to let us go back to work. And both sides are going to have to let you go back to work because how long can the government print money that's worth anything, you know, before somebody comes in and starts something? I don't think we need all this racial tension that seems to be going around because I just don't see it. I see it being promoted, but I have black friends. I have Mexican friends. I have Chinese friends. We talk about it and we're like, what do you see that I'm not seeing? And they're like, we don't see it. And why is that? Why is rioting ever? Why tearing up and destroying other people's stuff in the name of whoever? Why is that a good thing? Yeah. Or acceptable? Or why isn't it stopped? Or I don't, know. I don't know either. And it just makes me mad that you do that. Because I come from a family that said, if somebody's hurting or someone's down, you do what you can to bring them up. Sure. And you speaking know, of that, what do you think we can do, you know, both as a collective, uh, you know, as the fair industry as a whole and as individuals, you know, to help people in our communities and help give them encouragement and hope for, uh, you know, to our fair family? Well, you know, Fresno, Big Fresno Fair uh, teamed up with Toyota and they had their vendors come in and open up their vendor booths for a drive-by hit. I think that raised spirits right there with uh, Bobby and uh, Ken over there. It's a little, the We Cowboys. I don't yeah. even know what their real name is. I call them mini-me's. Yeah, Fables uh, of the West, I think is what they are. Yeah, so, I mean, they were, and, and Lanky was out there and all of them, and tens of thousands of people came out to the event. Yeah, I think, and I think, I think, you, I think you hit on it because... It may not necessarily be, I've talked to several fairs that have done events like that and, and not all of them were even profitable, but I think at some point the question is maybe there's something, an intangible there 
that's not about money that is just raising people's spirits. I mean, I know of entertainers who are wanting to get back into the industry and get back to work, but they've gone and taken jobs at, you know, Home Depot or, you know, they're driving for UPS or something right now just to to cover it. But what, um, you know, what I was, what I was going to say there is, um, you know, they're out there doing these jobs, but for a lot of us being in, like, if I have to, if I had to, I could, if, you know, once my ankle heals from this surgery I had in July, um, it totally, then I feel a little more comfortable going back out and getting a job. But for a lot of entertainers and not just entertainers, you know, AV tech people, roadies, whatnot, you know, this is all we've ever done. And how do you tell someone that's, you know, 55 years old, who's been, you know, a tech guy, a roadie, you know, schlepping gear and setting up sound and lights at, at, and stages for 30 years. How do you tell them, oh, there's no more events. Just go get a job at Walmart. That's rough. You don't, you don't, you know what I did? You know what I did? I needed new knees for 10 or 12 years. And I could not schedule them because I was always on the road entertaining. And you know, as well as I do that if, if you don't go on stage, you don't get paid. Yep. And then you're always trying to be, well, there was never 30 days to heal up. So when the coronavirus shut us down, I called my orthopedic and I said, I want both knees done right now. And so I had two new knee replacements. Yeah, that's how I, I with my ankle. I've been waiting 10 years. You know, we've, we've made it work for 10 years. It's gotten worse over the last two or three. And, but when did I have, you know, for a hundred percent recovery on this ankle, it's six months because ankle bones heal really, really slowly. I can walk on it now. I can do some, some moderate light to moderate hiking on it. Um, but I wouldn't feel comfortable with being on my feet for eight or 10 hours at a time just yet. I mean, you know, we've got 10 inches of snow in Albuquerque today and that cold alone has got my ankle feeling something fierce right now. Um, but once that's and we got a cold front coming through here today too. It's yeah. only about 80. And are you feeling it in your knees? Yeah. And it's <laughs> only about 80. It's only about 80. Yeah. You're feeling <laughs> it when it gets only about 80 there is. I know how you guys are. But you know, Sarah's family's over in South Mississippi and um her uh her mom's the same way. If it's below 80 degrees, she's cold. <laughs> oh, not here. We're still sweating, but uh yeah, our house is cold cuz we got uh, and, and, you know, if you look positive, you can find positive in some, in everything that happens, yeah. like the hurricane hit and I lost 79 trees. Well, I don't have to get firewood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then my air condition was flipped upside down twice and it was 15 years old because I bought this place right at, in Louisiana. Everything is done by what hurricane, you know? Yep. So I built this Same place. Mississippi. Your, How many years since Katrina? Yeah, that's it. Well, the air conditioning got flipped upside down. It was 15 years old. And the air conditioning guy came out and said, it's ruined. You get a new air conditioner. So now I get a new air conditioner. Yeah. My rent property got a new roof. So there is that. But there's also, you know, you got to look for the silver lining. If you yeah. look for gloom and doom, you You'll can find, find it. it every I day. I think that's, you know, I, I don't want to get too deep into politics here. But I think that's part of the reason that people are just sick and tired of the news is because they look for, they seek it out and put it up. And I, I don't I mean, we don't even have cable anymore. Like I don't watch Fox and I don't watch CNN. I, there's so much doom and gloom and so much negativity. I felt like I needed to start finding positive. That's part of the reason I started, um, you know, with this podcast 
we wanted to start it, um, start a series again, revitalize it back in the beginning of the year. And we were going to hold off until after the run in Australia was over. And then all hell broke loose. And I decided this is not a good time to talk to fairs about their fairs being canceled. But now this, I feel like this has given me some purpose. I think it's really important for people to find that sense of purpose right now. I mean, it's, it's for so many that are and look out. purpose matters, feeling like you have a place and have a, a purpose is important. And I mean, I'm making the people who the podcast, but I'm, I'm getting, I'm telling stories. I mean, I'm sharing well, this information. Look at the number of people who said, who went out for their, for their fellow workers, like, look, I'm going to retire and that's going to free up a hundred thousand dollars of payroll that we can trickle down to you guys. And if you just, you know, we'll get you through this year. Who does that? Someone who is thinking of our industry, not themselves normally. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So who have you, have you learned anything about yourself in this pandemic? I learned that uh, I can get through it. Resiliency. Yeah. Yeah. But here's what's scary. It's like you say, I can go work at Walmart. I can go teach flying lessons. I can go do a lot of things, but it's not, how do you do that after 30 years of doing something else? I told my wife, I said, I can work an eight to five job. I just don't want to. And, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy getting up every morning at six o'clock now and working till seven, eight o'clock at night, but it gives you purpose and it gives you, you know, I don't see how people can live at home and let the government pay them to stay home how, how do you have self-worth? I don't know. And I try not to worry about it, honestly, because they're going to do what they're going to do. And I'm going to just focus on what I need to do to support my family and, and be resilient and push through this. And I worry about my entertainer families. You know, every, all of us have a side gig, you know, like 34th Street Pier or Bourbon Street or Jackson Square or the market or wherever, you know, but even those gigs have been closed to them. Yeah. And what the guys that lived from show to show, how do they function when there's no show to show? I know. And it's real serious. And I think that's where, you know, when the, the Robert Graham center talks about deaths of despair and, and the increase sharp increase in substance abuse, I think that's where it comes from for, you know, I'm very lucky in, in where I'm at that I've got a, an amazing family. Sarah's still got a job. We still, I have that support system around me and we're supporting each other. You know, Sarah's family's still alive. My family's still, my parents still alive. We all have a great support system, but not all of us, not everyone in this industry does. You know, a lot of performers, especially the uh, kind of the street style performers, the street magician and juggler and the stilt walker. And um, a lot of them I find to be, kind of a very vagabond style life <laughs> and if they're happy with that and some of these folks that do lead that life have some of the most amazing costumes and amazing performances if they're happy with that more power to them but it's tough to be happy with it right now when you can't do it and i think it's super important that as as a collective um you know to answer the question that I asked you, I, I think we, it's really important that we're reaching out to our friends and, and people in the fair industry. And even maybe people we haven't spoken to or weren't that close to, to just say, you know, Hey, how are you? Are you holding up? Cause sometimes 
that one phone call might make the difference in, in somebody making the decision or not. You know, that's like the college I went to. We all lived on the campus because it was required. It was a private university. We kept in touch over the years. And some of those that, that I had lost touch with has called, you know, like, hey, dude, how'd you come through the hurricane? Do you need something? Can we send you something? What do y'all need down there? And, you know, my question was always the same. If you can't come, send gas. Because, you know, we were finding water. All the churches had water. All the churches had MREs. All the churches had somebody cooking. But gasoline, I mean, you don't know how much you need it. You know, like they say, petroleum products are bad. Yeah, until they run the generator that supplies the electricity. You know, or till they make the battery, till the petroleum makes the battery that runs the flashlight. <laughs> or they say you need wind power and you're sitting down there in a hurricane that's going 130 miles an hour. And you're like, no, 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 no. We got more than enough wind. We yeah, we got wind down here. And, and, you know, and some sometimes I think, why don't we have little low uh, windmills just off the runways because the planes are generating tons, you know. And, and this year, we considered for the first time putting uh, solar panels on our roof to go solar. And I said, we can go off the grid. We just have enough power to run our house. But they won't let you do that in Louisiana. You have to, you can only put up 85% of your power use because the electrical companies still need your dollars. Chef, listen, I appreciate you being on the show before we're about out of time. But before we go... Everyone on the show goes through a speed round of questions. Okay, I'm ready. I'm going to ask you a handful of questions. Give me a quick, oh, he's on the quick on the draw. Quick on the draw. Uh, okay, so six questions. You ready? Corn dogs or turkey legs? Corn dogs. You're a chef. Let me ask you, does pineapple belong on pizza? No. <laughs> okay, that was a resounding no. If I opened uh, your music player right now, which song would it tell me has played the most? <laughs> I don't know the name of it. Uh, I don't have a lot of music on my phone, but uh, there's a lot of, I like Neil McCoy and I like George Strait. Neil McCoy and George Strait would be getting played. Cool. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. The first Star Trek, not the new stuff. Not, so not even the next generation? So you're more no. Kirk, you're Kirk, not Picard. Yep, me and Spock. All right. Uh, what is the furthest from home you've ever traveled? Honduras. Honduras. It's nice. Uh, and last question. What's the favorite concert you've ever been to? Charlie Pride. Charlie Pride. Good choice. Good choice. Chef, if someone in our fair industry wants to know more about your comedy cooking show, where can they find you? Cheflandry.com. Cheflandry.com. And he is Chef Scott Landry. He performs Chef Landry's comedy cooking show. Chef, uh, I know you've got another hurricane bearing down on you. Hopefully it may be Mobile, maybe Pensacola this time takes one. Uh, we could take so a day off. You take, you could take one off. You'll, you'll take it for the team or you'll just take the day off from it. Yeah. Um, thanks for taking the time to come on the show. I'm glad you could be here. I'm glad you asked, Robert. Anytime you need us, just give us a call. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Air Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.